0: This is Barbara Gregorich, writer, reader, blogger, teacher, sharing with you some of the thoughts, inspirations, and writing decisions behind my work. Every Tuesday, I'll podcast something about my writing, reading, or teaching, and on the first and third Fridays of each month, I'll podcast something about my most recent book, The F-Words, a YA novel published by City of Light Publishing. I'm not sure when I first learned what an index was, but I suspect it was when my 10th grade English teacher required each member of the class to write a small research paper. My subject was Dr. Samuel Mudd, the physician who set John Wilkes Booth's broken leg. Once I realized there were no books on Dr. Mudd in the local library, I felt great dismay, thinking I would have to read many, many books on the Civil War and Lincoln, in the hope of finding a mention of Dr. Mudd in some of them. But then, sitting in the library, thumbing through one of the Lincoln books, I noticed something called an index at the back of the book. In a single glance, I inferred what the index provided. An alphabetical list of names, places, and subject matter within the book, with a page number detailing where each mention occurred. Eureka! I would not have to read countless books after all, tediously combing through each for a crumb of information. All I really had to do was check the indexes of countless books and read only the chapters, I never read only the pages, in which Dr. Mudd appeared. Future experiences, especially once I was in college, elevated my appreciation of the index as a non-fiction tool one that allowed a peruser or a researcher to understand the topics and the depth of the topics within each book. Yes, a table of contents should give the reader a general idea of the topics covered, but only an index shows the details of those topics. Take my best-known nonfiction title, Women at Play, The Story of Women in Baseball. The table of contents tells the reader that in the section titled The League Years, I have a chapter titled Rose Gaychok, which starts on page 114 and ends on page 120, but the index references Rose Gaychok in the following manner. Gaychok, Rose, 114 to 20. All Star Ranger Girls and Rose Gaychuk. 35, 73, 74 to 75, 115. Retirement, 120. Rockford Peaches and 115, 116, 118 to 19, 135, 138. South Bend Blue Sox and 116. Simply by skimming this index information, the reader might infer that Rose Gaychok played for the All-Star Ranger Girls, the Rockford Peaches, and perhaps the South Bend Blue Sox. She did, in fact, play for all three teams. If somebody researching Rose Gaychok used only the table of contents, they would read pages 114 to 120. And would miss the fact that significant information on Gaychuk appears in two other chapters, neither of them in the league years, and neither of them titled Rose Gaychuk. Not consulting an index can lead researchers to false assumptions and less information than if they had used the index. When I teach nonfiction writing, I find that some people in the class don't know what an index is. They think it's a table of contents. When shown an index, they appear perplexed as if they've never seen one in their lives. I don't know how or why this happens. Perhaps they've never re- they've never searched a nonfiction book for information of any kind. This ignorance of indexes extends to search engines such as Google Images type in book index, and you'll see photos of both indexes and tables of contents as if they were one and the same. In Guide to Writing the Mystery Novel, Lots of Examples Plus Dead Bodies, a reader can look at the table of contents and see that I divide the topic into 25 chapters. Dialogue is one of those chapters, and the table of contents shows that dialogue begins on page 163 and ends on page 172. But wait, look at the index. Under dialogue, the indexer provides the following information. Dialogue, avoiding exposition in pages 151 to 151. Character development and dialogue, pages 163 to 168 oblique revelations through dialogue, pages 168 through 171, plot advancement through dialogue, pages 171 to 172, dialogue without conflict, pages 90 to 92. This breakdown of the dialogue topics I wrote about gives a reader so much more information than does a chapter title. For one thing, the five subheads tell the reader some of the suggestions I make in regard to writing dialogue. They also indicate that I discuss dialogue outside the chapter titled Dialogue. Specifically, I write about it on pages 150 to 151 and also on pages 90 to 92. An index that works the way it's supposed to work is somewhat forgettable. That is, the reader uses the index, is pleased with it, and continues with his or her research, giving the index not a second thought, until she needs to find something again and can't remember where it was in the book. But when an index doesn't work well, when it's too shallow, meaning it doesn't have enough subheads, or too ludicrously machine-made, meaning it covers words, nouns, but not concepts. The reader definitely notices. I have refused to buy books whose indexes look shallow and lack levels of indexing. In this, I'm not alone. Many nonfiction readers refuse to buy books that have no indexes or poor indexes. If you aren't already a fan of indexes, learn to be one you'll soon find that the index is an indispensable tool for nonfiction books. My future podcasts will include How I Wrote a Book in 92 Days, The Webbing in the Glove, He Traded Rose Gaychuk, and then I'll leave the baseball themes and move into a series of music-related pod- podcasts, starting with idiophones.